is a juggling act, right? Really, because really you is. have to find and, and you can never please everyone, but you have to try and find, like you say, what is best for the group, but how can we still cater as best as possible to each individual? Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joining the line later today by Joe Club. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, I want to give you a quick recap of the week that was, a little insight as to what's new in my neck of the woods, so let's go ahead and jump right in. This weekend, very much looking forward to my first live event in at least two, probably more like two and a half years, and that is the Coach Conference in Orlando. So my guy, Nick Lamb, very impressed with him as a seminar organizer, promoter. We've obviously done online events together over the pandemic, but very excited to just go get in front of a live audience, see how it goes. Hopefully I'm not too rusty and excited not only for the conference and all the attendees, uh, but to see some old friends that I haven't seen in a year and a half, two years as well. So definitely looking forward to that. The kids are pretty entrenched in their winter sports right now. Kate is playing basketball. Uh, got a win this weekend. Really fun working with those guys, teaching them the game. Kendall had her first indoor soccer game of her second season, so she has basically two winter sessions. Lost a couple girls. They just wanted to take a break before spring. Picked up a couple new girls, but man, definitely couldn't tell yesterday. We played really well. Actually won 12 to nothing, and old Kenny isn't uh, the biggest goal scorer out there. She plays more of like a winger, uh, very good at you know playing defense, good passes, and man, she banged three goals yesterday, so that was pretty awesome to watch. Training and nutrition going really well, getting back into really consistent training, which is nice. I got my guy Trevor helping me out with my nutrition coaching, starting to see some changes there, which is nice. Really, probably more importantly, feeling some changes too. Bumped up the carb intake quite a bit. <laughs> As I'm looking back now, I was probably definitely under-eating in a couple aspects. So bump my total calories up, definitely bump my carbohydrates up, feel great. A little bit of a body recomp going on, even at what to me is a bump in calories. So that's always nice. And uh, probably going to start a little bit of a, a leaning, cutting type season here. I hate when people are constantly like, oh, I'm on a bulk or I'm on a cut. I'm not, not really going to play that game, but I am trying to, to just lean out a little bit. So looking forward to that when I get back from Orlando this weekend. If you are following me on the Instagram and YouTubes, hopefully you're enjoying all the videos I've been posting there. Made it my goal earlier this year. I'm going to drop something every single day, and it seems to be working. Like getting a lot of feedback, getting a lot of good reviews and just, you know, discussion going on from the various things I've been putting up. So if you're not following me on Instagram and or YouTube, definitely start doing that because I'm trying to put something out there every single day that will make you a better trainer, coach, rehab professional, or even athlete. All right. And then last but not least, I think it would be remiss not to mention the fact that my baby girl, Kendall, turns 11 this week. Uh, it's still mind-blowing to me to think about the fact that you know, my baby is 11. Like, I mean, I still remember the day she was born, bringing her home, being able to, to carry her around. We, I mean, they call it football hold, right? Whether you have a kid or not, you know, football hold is basically you hold them in between your forearm and the torso of your body and you walk around with them. I mean, I used to carry her around, hold her like that for just hours on end. So again, just very strange to think that she's 11, 
I mean, she's just the most amazing little girl. So smart, so happy, so curious. I mean, she's always asking questions. She's just like a sponge. So, you know, obviously you might not see her, but just hopefully send good vibes her way because she's an amazing little girl. And uh, man, I love her so much. And I can't wait to see what she grows up and does in this world because I know it's going to be amazing. So that's it for me, my friend. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to jump into this awesome episode with Joe Club. It seems like almost every day I talk to trainers and coaches who are frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in this industry. So if this sounds anything like you, I've got something that I know will help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you, who are serious about the results they get and know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification takes the last 20 years of my life's work and puts it all into one massive course. In it, you're gonna learn how to use the R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. One of the best pieces of feedback I've gotten about the Complete Coach Cert is that people that train gin pop people and people that train high-level athletes and everyone in between is taking something away from the course. You also learn how to create the culture, environment, and relationships with everyone you train so you can get the absolute best results. You're gonna learn the exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym, from squatting and deadlifting, to pressing and pulling, and everything in between. And last but not least, I've got an entire section on my assessment process and how to use that to write programs faster and more effectively than ever before. Now, of course, there's a ton more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the certification is all about. Now, here's the thing. Spots for the certification only open twice per year for a limited time. If you're interested in learning more, my next certification will open soon. And if you join my free insiders list, you'll be able to save $200 when it opens. To get on that insiders list, just head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, complete coachcertification.com and then stay tuned for our launch emails very soon. Thank you so much for your support and I hope you'll pick up a copy of the Complete Coach Cert when it launches. Joe Club is a performance science consultant and her company, Global Performance Insights, works with sports teams, organizations, and individuals around the world to optimize performance. She has previously worked as an applied sports scientist for the Buffalo Bills, Buffalo Sabres, as well as Chelsea Football Club and Brighton and Hove Albion in English soccer. Joe also publishes regular content on her blog at globalperformanceinsights.com that discusses the best ways to implement sports science in the applied setting. In this show, Joe and I take a candid look at sports science, but we start by talking about her unique path that took her through three different professional sports on two different continents. Next, we talk about how sports science has evolved over the years and the ever-increasing demands being placed on strength and conditioning coaches. We talk about how to make sports science more user-friendly and ultimately something that benefits both the players and the coaches. And last but not least, we talk about the value of having coaches and consultants outside of big organizations to work as sounding boards. This was a really fun chat and I think you're gonna love it. But enough for me, let's do this. Joe, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Really excited to have you on. 
Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thank you, Mike. So like I'm sure most of your listeners, I am a massive sports fan, first and foremost. So tried every sport growing up, but unfortunately couldn't master any of them. (laughs) And then I'd also, I guess, describe myself as a bit of a science nerd. Like I love learning and discovering new things, which I think from listening to your show, like you relate to that as well, being a science guy. And I've been really fortunate to kind of combine both those passions really throughout my career. Um, So I've been a sports scientist to a number of professional sports teams. Last year, actually, I I set up my own company called Global Performance Insights as a way to try and have a wider impact on the sports science industry. And I mean, Global Performance Insights, I guess it's a little bit of a mouthful, but (laughs) I I chose that name because I just felt it, it summarized my career So as I'm sure we'll discuss, global being, I've had the opportunity to work internationally around the world, performance being at the core of everything I do, bringing it back to athletes' performance, and insights, that scientific mindset to try and uncover insights for your athletes and performance through research and data and technology. So yeah, that's me, that's Global Performance Insights. Well, I guess it's a little bit like um, Robertson Training Systems, that's right? right. Like, that's right. Every word means something to you. That, that's right. That's right. So talk to me. As an athlete growing up, what led you to the world of physical preparation? Like what brought you into the weight room or speed training? Or how did you get started with all that? Yeah, so it's almost a fairy tale story, to be honest with you, because I remember the moment I was 12 years old and I was watching a TV show that we have over here, but actually it's not even on TV anymore. So that shows you it's old. (laughs) It was called Tomorrow's World. um, And it was about science and innovation. Um, And they did an athletic special. Mm -hmm. And I saw these people in white lab coats testing the athletes. And straight away, I was like, well, if I'm not good enough to be one of the athletes, maybe I can be one of the people stood next to them, helping to hopefully make the most of their athletic potential. So from that moment, that was exactly what I wanted to do. That's awesome. That's awesome. And then talk to me about your career path, because like you alluded to, like you've been all over, you've worked on different continents. Talk to me about like understanding like, oh, this is something I want to do. Walk me through college. Like, what did you study? How did you get into the sports world? Like people love to hear the career path. And I love to highlight that. Because too often people just think, oh, well, Joe just started working, you know, with the Buffalo Bills. And that's not always how it works. There's a lot of a backstory there. So would you mind sharing that with us? Yeah. I mean, it's always a long and winding road, isn't it? Yes. So on that TV show that I watched, the lab they were at was at Loughborough University, which is a big sports science college here in the UK. Okay. So I knew that's where I wanted to go. And that's where I ended up going. So actually, one of my first career milestones was a bit of a failure because I applied for an internship with the sports science team at Chelsea Football Club. And that was literally my dream job because I come from a Chelsea family Mm. and I interviewed for it and I didn't get it. And I was devastated. But I went back to university, graduated kind of as normal and then was going to go off traveling the world and out of the blue got contacted by Chelsea and asked to come and do the internship that year. Mm. And so 
that was obviously an incredible experience. And at the end of my internship, they offered me a full-time role. And because I'd already graduated, I was able to take that on. And I ended up staying there for five or six years, ups and downs, highs and lows, but obviously an incredible learning experience. And I always kind of feel like when you've been an intern somewhere, sometimes you're always seen as the intern. Yep. And so I wanted to take on a new challenge. I wanted a new environment. So I actually left and went to another soccer team, Brighton and Hove Albion. And things were going well there. But just after about a year of being there, I started to get some messages about opportunities in the U.S., and again, that was kind of in part due to some, my, like my networking that I'd just done throughout my career. I'd done online distance learning masters with an Australian university. And so I'd kind of expanded my network that way. And, and one of the people who recommended me for the role, they got asked for recommendations and by someone in Buffalo and they put me forward. And so, yeah, I'd never, never watched a game of ice hockey before. <laughs> Didn't know where Buffalo was in the States. But what what a great challenge. I mean, I had on my bucket list to, to work abroad and to work in different sports, so I, I couldn't turn it down. And, yeah, spent a couple of years there. And then, as a, a, I'm sure you're aware, the, the owners own both the Bills and the Sabres. And so we started to get to know the Bills and started doing some projects for them. And then that that turned into one season where I worked for both teams, which was pretty in- – Oh, wow. That was pretty intense, yeah. Yeah. And uh, and then um, I went full time at the Bills for a couple more years before making the decision last year to uh, to go alone and, and move back to the UK as my base, but continue to work internationally um, in doing what I'm doing now. Wow, that is awesome. Okay, so what I want to do is start with a simple question, then we can dive into a couple different topics here. But I'd imagine this also has a big answer. So kind of a two parter. How has sports science evolved over the years? Because you've been at the forefront, you've seen it. How has it evolved and how has the role of strength and conditioning coaches expanded along with it? Yeah, well, I'm not sure that's a, a simple question. <laughs> I mean, the perception is that sports science is quite a new thing, but obviously, I mean, science has underpinned sport and, and physical preparation, you know, from the beginning. Yep. I, I think strength and conditioning is is obviously underpinned by scientific principles and it's always a blend of art and science no matter how kind of innovative versus old school someone is seen as or feels they are like they use observation and experiment and you know they're they're hypothesizing how someone's going to react to a program and then they're they're adjusting based on that feedback i think what's really evolved obviously is the expansion of of data and technology in sport. And and we've seen that in society and obviously in sport. And so often with those tools being brought into the setting, it's been thrust upon the strength coach to manage that. And so either through choice or perhaps just given to them, they've got more um, responsibilities in that area of data management, analysis, interpretation. And I know many strength and conditioning coaches who have phenomenal kind of those data management skills. Um, But again, it's always a blend of the art and the science. Yeah. It's interesting too, because, you know, if I think back 20 years, 
the strength coach didn't really come out of the weight room. You know what I mean? Like they did the strength, they did the conditioning, maybe they did the speed work. But I've definitely seen this evolution and maybe at some of the sports that I'm around where, hey, if you're a strength coach, you have to bring something else to the table at this point, whether it's being able to evaluate using some of these data-driven tools like a, a force plate or a jump mat, things of that nature. So it's interesting to see that evolution. And I'm really interested to see how it continues to evolve in the future. Like, do strength coaches have more of these hybrid roles? Do we just hire more people, right? And mm. create bigger groups? Like, I don't really know how that's going to pan out, but I'm interested to see how it does. Yeah. And I, I think one of the big things there is, is like, I, I think performance is driven by when you work in an interdisciplinary manner, right? Mm -hmm. Rather than working in silos, like when individuals are just in their office, just working on their one piece of the puzzle. Right. Because we know performance is all interconnected. So, and sometimes the, the data or the technology can be a vehicle for those conversations and it can be used to help connect the dots with what the coach is seeing or what the scout is seeing or what the, the trainers are seeing. And so it's like just that vehicle for communication. Yeah, for sure. So one of the biggest issues with sports science is figuring out how to integrate it into the day-to-day -day process of a team. So with that being said, how do you think sports science processes can and maybe should go about impacting performance? I really think that scientific processes can help with objective decision-making. And I listened actually to your uh, recent episode with David Joyce, right? Oh, Where yeah. DJ talked about decision-making hygiene. Mm -hmm. So the quality of the process you use to make decisions. And sports science is one of the tools in the toolbox to assist you with that. Mm -hmm. So like Mike, in your setting, you have to make tons of programming decisions for every one of your clients right sure. exercises sets and reps etc and I'm sure that it's a blend again of the science and the art that drives the decisions you make then in the kind of the team sport setting that is like those decisions are multiplied obviously by however many athletes you're dealing with I mean obviously in football you're got a, a roster of 90 guys and in the colleges they've got 120 guys yeah but then on top of the physical preparation there's all those other decisions around um logistics and on-field training load and the facility design and all the pieces of the puzzle and actually you know one of my favorite roles with the bills was trying to create evidence-based recommendations for the schedule. So when should we train? How long should we train? When should we have rest days? What time should we start in the morning? What time should we end? How long should our meetings be? How long do we need for lunch? Like, when should we travel to this game? How, should we try and change our body clocks or should we not? Should we travel back after the game or should we sleep? And like, I, I wrote a blog ab about that optimizing your calendar piece because I think it's such a fascinating puzzle and I believe it's it was an area that sports science had an impact on performance and where it should have an impact on performance. Hmm. Okay so talk to me how on earth do you do that because like one of the issues that I run into is 
let's say you have client A at this point in time and you put them through a program and you know a month later you have a result. Well, good, bad, or indifferent, you have that result, but you can't go back in time to where that person was and determine, oh, well, how did that work if I try a different program? So how do you figure out like what what are best practices, right? Like how do you even go about tackling something like that? Well, yeah, and, and all of these constructs, right, are, are complex. So right. it's intertwined and you're right. You can never say A caused B. Right. We can look into the what is the latest science telling us? What is the research telling us in terms of travel fatigue, jet lag, training loads, recovery? We can think about that in the context of our environment, the sport we're in, but even just the playing group. Right. And actually think about if we have this schedule for the day, okay, how what's that going to look like for this player versus this player? You know, the first Absolutely. player off the field yeah. versus the last player off the field who always stays and does tons of extra. But then we always made a point of reviewing after the event and even just jotting down ideas. How did we think that went? What worked? What didn't? And sometimes you don't want to do that. You don't want to spend the time doing that. But the next year when you come to planning preseason or you come to planning um, how to approach your schedule during the playoffs, you've got notes of your thoughts from that moment to go back to. So it's that mixture of taking the research, knowing your group and your environment and trying to work out what you think would be good practice because in a lot of those cases, there's not best practice, right? There's right. just what is good at that moment in time. I really like that. Yeah, I think I had that stark realization. I didn't work with Chelsea or EPL teams, but when I worked with uh, the Indy 11, which is our professional team here, I had this very stark realization going into the weight room and training camp week one of, hey man, like on this team, I have a kid who's 19 years old, He's already played professionally a couple years, uh, high-level prospect. Uh, I think he was playing on like the U-20 national team. So I've got that level. And then I have a guy who's 35, played for Brazil's national team, played in the EPL, played all over the world. He's played pro since he was like 16, you know, but he's got like 20 years of cumulative soccer on those legs and on his body. So I think that's one of the things that they can't be stressed enough when you get in these environments with teams is like trying to understand what's best for the group, but then also trying to customize and cater to, okay, but how mm. do I treat all of these individuals? Yeah, and it's a juggling act, right? Really, because really you have to find, and, and you can never please everyone, but you have to try and find, what, like you say, what is best for the group, but how can we still cater as best as possible to each individual? Absolutely, I love it. Okay, so I think, one of the biggest barriers to entry into the world of sports science is this fear of unnecessary complexity or maybe adding things that don't become useful or they're not valuable or you're just inundated with so much data you don't know what to do with it. So with that being said, how does somebody like you take concepts like training load, recovery, performance testing, and make it simple and more streamlined so that we can get more people doing it? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's definitely one of the biggest challenges we face. I think in the face of key stakeholders, I try to be like a swan. 
So if I'm speaking to management, to coaching, to um, athletes, obviously, then I am confident and communicating like I'm gliding calmly and simply across the water. Mm -hmm. But underneath that water, (laughs) in my brain, are thoughts frantically swimming around about the complexity of all of those things you mentioned. And I think as practitioners, we need to appreciate the complexity. We need to respect it. But those key stakeholders, they don't need to know. They don't need to know the complexity of, of training load and everything that's going on underneath. They need to know what they need to know. So it's up to me to meet them where they are, to speak to them in their language, to find out what their biggest problems are and how my information or research might be able to assist them. So like if we think back to those decision examples we just talked about, how can I assist each individual with the decisions they have to make? And then, of course, I've got to do the work to adapt my approach for each of those individuals. So Mm. I've worked with coaches who want a four-page report with graphs and data explaining how I came to a recommendation. I've worked with other coaches who say, Joe, I don't need any of that. Just tell me what you think. I I I trust you. Just tell me your recommendation. Right. And neither one of them is right or wrong, good or bad, but it is my responsibility to work out each individual's preference and then adapt my approach to suit their their individual needs. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's literally just like you could have virtually identical athletes in the gym, right? And I'm thinking in a physical preparation environment, but like some guys just love the weight room. And so you might skew your training towards that a little bit. Others might prefer more like jumps and throws and sprints and that sort of thing. So you customize it, but you bring up a great point. And I kind of describe this as the art of simplification. I think one of the best compliments that I've gotten as far as a content creator is that in general, I do a pretty good job of taking a complex topic and making it simple, right? Like in your job, in your role, that's something you have to be able to do because like you said, a lot of these coaches don't care about the minutia. Maybe yeah. some do, but they're probably in the minority. You've got to be able to take these complex topics or these systems that have all these different things going on and whittle it down to here's what you need to know to make a more informed decision. Am I correct? Absolutely. Like, tell me what I need to do or tell me what matters to me. Now, we need outlets to then ask for ourselves discuss and debate the complexity right and and one of the things you know I have my blog that I write on obviously this podcast for you is is one of the vehicles and with your own colleagues in your own space you can go back and forth and debate it but you have to have that game face on get to the point tell me what I need to know in the way that I like to receive that information yeah that's huge okay so one thing that I think is incredibly fascinating about your career. Obviously, you said you grew up a Chelsea fan, you got to work around soccer, Mm -hmm. but you also stepped into not only a new country coming to the US, Mm -hmm. but now you're stepping into two brand new sports in hockey and football. So I'm curious, were there any ways where being an outsider or being totally new to the sport was actually helpful to you 
as a practitioner? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I had a beginner's mind, like literally a beginner's mindset. I had zero prior knowledge and I had none of the biases that come from being ingrained or even being around the sport for a little bit of time. So I came with, you know, fresh perspectives and I I brought lessons from other sports. And, you know, that is exactly why diversity, whether it is both diversity in people's backgrounds, but then also diversity of thought can be so beneficial to any any environment outside of sport and, you know, physical preparation, that that diversity of ideas is really important. Now, that said, that doesn't mean I didn't have any biases, because actually, then I had my biases from my experiences in soccer. And again, like stepping into hockey and trying to translate research from from soccer and rugby and Australian football, well, you know, suddenly you're on ice. So (laughs) that changes completely. Mm -hmm. And I can think of another example that is always stuck in my mind was that one of the first responsibilities I was given with the Sabres was a skinfold assessment, so body composition. Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing this athlete come over to me, obviously top off and thinking, wow, he's got a real beer belly, to be honest with you. I thought, oh, he's got a bit of a gut. And then when I came to, to measure the abdominal area, he was really lean. And then I realized it's because of his pelvis being tilted and how his body was adapted to a lifetime of skating that he was just a different shape to what I was used to. And that really like the penny dropped that I'd mostly worked with a particular homogenous group in in soccer. And now I was working with a different population. So I might not have had the hockey biases, but I also had to set aside some of the, you know, soccer biases that I had. That's really interesting. So I want to just tangent here just for a second, because I think this is great. So often people assume, well, I haven't been around this sport, therefore I can't be successful in that sport. And this this happened to me, not only in soccer, but even probably more specifically when I did some combine training years ago. Uh, I had no experience in it. I knew the tests and... So I had a couple of people ask me to do it. So I dove in kind of with that beginner's mind approach and like, hey, I'm just going to, okay, what are the tests? How can I like reverse engineer this to give these people the best chance for success? So I took my approach and then also went back and got to talk to guys like Nick Winkleman, Lauren Landau. They gave me their time, explained some of the things. So I got some of the nuance there that I wouldn't have understood, right? Because Mm -hmm. I hadn't been in it. But I think that is such a great learning tool for young coaches. So don't be afraid to step out of your comfort zone. I think you can learn a ton there. But I think one thing that is very important that you can't replicate until you're in a sport is understanding the culture. Sometimes Mm. the language, like the lingo, there's that element of it that takes time. But I think too often people are, are scared to step out of their comfort zone and go into a different sport when like, hey, that could be an advantage because... A lot of times people appreciate, hey, look, I'm not I'm not like just a soccer guy or a basketball guy or whatever. Help me understand that. And a lot of times if you're around the right team and the right athletes, they love that. They want to teach you their game. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And But I think going in with that humility, like yes. acknowledging where you're at, 
and showing that you want to listen and you want to learn. Like, you know, you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. And that's so even more important when you go into one, a new environment, but then also a new sport. And so like I would sit with, I remember the equipment guy had been with the team since the team's inception. Mm -hmm. So he'd worked every season and he'd worked with every athlete. So you know, he was obviously tend- understandably tentative about foreigners coming into the sport that didn't know the sport. But I took the time to sit with him and ask questions and learn exactly, like you said, about the culture um, and try and pick up as much as I could. Yeah, I love that. And there's another point in there. You mentioned it. I think I mentioned it. Asking questions. Such an important piece. Like, e- even if you've been around the sport, like I've been around basketball in some way, shape or form my whole life. But like these guys are the best of the best that I get to work with. So like, man, I'm always going to be asking questions. Like, what do you think about this? What did you see? Like just having, like you said, that humility and having that curious beginner's mind where you're constantly asking questions and trying to learn, I think is so valuable as a coach. Yeah. And I think that ties in with what we were saying earlier about the individuality, right? So, and, and we know it, you come out of college or, or, or courses and, you want to apply what you've learned in the textbook, but mm-hmm. every individual is different. And particularly those veterans, like, yes. tell me what your recovery routine is. Tell me what makes you feel good. Um, like, tell me your experiences of sports science um, elsewhere and tell me what's worked for you and what hasn't. So, yeah, and that that's true, isn't it, for all settings, uh, be it whether it's team sport, whether it's, you know, your local kids team, whether it's a private facility. I mean, that applies to all of us. Yeah. And I've had numerous sports scientists on the show over the years. And that's, it's like one of these things, like they don't talk about this in probably the, the coursework and the textbooks, but like, Hey, these relationships, creating this buy-in, building friendships with these athletes is like one of the best ways you can get them to buy into what you're doing and get them to, you know, do the testing and fill in the recovery trackers, like all the stuff that you need them to do. If you've got a strong bond and relationship, it's that much easier to get them to do that stuff. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Love it. Okay. So in our email exchange leading up to this show, you mentioned that both teams and individuals can benefit from having an external sounding board. So maybe somebody outside of the organization. So I'd love for you to kind of expand on that a little bit. What did you mean when you said having this external sounding board is valuable? So I think we we each live in our own reality, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the world that each of us live in is shaped by our experiences, our upbringing, our biases. And other people's perspective can always like shine a light on things we're not seeing or part of what we're missing or things in a different way. And I mean, that's ultimately what coaching is in a way and what mentoring is and maybe even part of what friendship is. And do you know that there's a cartoon where there's a number of uh, people wearing blindfolds and there's an elephant, but because each one of them is touching a different part of the elephant, Mm. they all come to a different conclusion about what they're holding. Yes. Um, And so And I think that experience is like really exaggerated in the sporting environment because it's such a demanding environment. It's hard to take a step back. You are on that hamster wheel and and you, you know, you barely get off of it. And obviously like 
right now. It's around NFL playoffs, Super Bowl time, and you are exhausted from the grind of the season, but you've got to go again. Right. And you've got to focus on nothing but the team winning at the weekend. So you're you're in that place, you're in that mindset. And so for me, that I describe myself now to a lot of people as an external teammate. I'm a teammate because I am supporting you. And also because I understand the environment that you're in. I understand the pressures, the politics, the demands. Um, but I'm external to that, to that stress and that, that treadmill, that hamster wheel. And so that's the sounding board I, I am trying to provide. And, you know, people use it in different ways. I have people I work with where I create, um, you know, research summaries and reviews on uh, a problem or question that they pose to me based on what they're facing, what's most relevant to them. Mm -hmm. And then I have other people that I work with in terms of reviewing coming in again as that external sound piece to review the processes perhaps at the end of the season that they've been doing and then others where it's um supervising or mentoring some of their developing practitioners so like I really believe that all of us benefit from an external sounding board yep. and like I myself I, I work with a coach and she's phenomenal and I really appreciate the different perspectives that she gives me I like that. One thing that I can tell I like about what you do is I call it career ADD. I know it's not, but like being able to just like interact and work in so many different environments and different people, I feel like gives you this really broad experience. And I love your thought process of uh, being like an external sounding board, because in a lot of ways, I think of myself, I don't work in a team setting anymore. I think of myself as an external coach, right? So I'm yeah. like a support staff of the strength coach or a support staff of that player and that team. So I just like that perspective because I think it also helps you feel like you're part of the team, but you're not like one of those people that's in the trenches every single day, because look, that's a different mold and that's a different lifestyle. And like that doesn't work for everybody or it doesn't work for everybody all the time. So. Yeah. And I think like I, I've grown so much as both a practitioner and as a person, by having the opportunity to work in different environments, different sports, and a different country. Sure. And I appreciate that not everyone may be afforded that such an opportunity. And sure. maybe you do stay in a, a role for a, a long time in, in the same place, but there are ways you can still develop if that's the case. And one of those ways is like looking to other means to learn and other people to learn from. So I, I think that's part of it as well. Yeah. Do you know Dave Tenney? Yeah. Okay. So one of the things that always impressed me about Dave, and hopefully he hears this so he knows how infatuated I am with him. But one of the things I was always so impressed by was, I mean, he was with the Sounders. And so they would routinely play into November, sometimes December. He'd maybe have a six-week off-season. But Dave always found time in that off-season to go somewhere else, you know, Australia, somewhere, and hang out with somebody else that was, like, at his level or that he perceived to be at a higher level so he could learn from them, right? And that always impressed me about him. And I think that's something where don't ever become incestuous in your environment. Like, yes. even if you guys are having amazing success, that's great. 
you got to get out and you got to see what other people are doing because that doesn't mean you can't continue to grow and evolve. Yeah, and you you never know where it's going to lead. Yes. Like, I don't agree with networking for the sake of just putting your name out there, making right. sure someone knows who you are. Like, that's right. disingenuous. But like, as I mentioned earlier, you know, going to Australia, or I did an online distance learning master's with Australia, but then I had to do a week or two there in person. You know, people I met there were some of the people that ended up recommending me to go and work in America. I mean, I That's never awesome. would have expected that. Right. But again, you don't know where the network you create is going to lead you further down the line. So absolutely make connections and learn what you can from them now. Share what you know, because yes. it's as much for their benefit as yours. And yeah, who knows where that might take you in the future. I love it. Okay. If you could alter the space-time continuum and give young Joe Club one piece of advice, what would it be? What would it be? I think one of the areas that's taught me a lot in kind of recent times actually is, and I'm by no means an expert on this topic, but reading a little bit around the Stoic Stoicism mm. philosophy. Yep. It was introduced to me by my old colleague at the Bills, um, Will Greenberg. And I would say, particularly younger, I was more of a fiery red, a little bit more of a, a stressful individual who maybe didn't have that worldview of appreciating other people's own worldviews and own perspectives as much. Yep. And so I think both personally and professionally, that mentality of controlling what you can control, you can only control how you respond to things. I'm certainly not perfect at it, but I think, as I said, I, I do think it has benefited me as as an individual and then also in my workplace any specific books that you like or authors yeah in that regard um i think it's it the daily stoic it's yeah. uh ryan holiday 360 yes yeah, ryan holiday yeah. 365 days i actually read it two or three years ago and i've just started it again doing it again this year so every day it's just one page either when you wake up or when you go to bed for that day to give you a quote and a, a thought just to prime your mind in that kind of way of thinking. Yeah. I love it. I've got that book too. Courtesy of Bill Hartman. Love yeah. it. Okay. Last but not least, we got our lightning round. So four fairly short questions. Your answer can be as long or short as you like. Okay. Number one, I realize this is tough, but I'm going to ask anyway, do you have a career highlight so far as a coach? I think I have to say the opportunity to work abroad and in different sports. I think I know that's a massive sweeping statement, sure. but both of those goals, if you like, were on my bucket list. So to do them in, in one go, that really rapidly developed me as a person, I would say. I love it. I love it. Okay. Number two. So you've obviously got the consulting thing going. What prompted you to start the Global Performance Insights blog? and start creating content and all that stuff? Originally, I wrote for a blog called Sports Discovery. And that was myself and two other guys, David Penny and Johnny Bloomfield. And actually, just to take a step back, so my first mentor when I was at Chelsea was a guy called Nick Broad. And Nick was phenomenal, elite, innovative, way ahead of his time. And unfortunately, we lost Nick in a car accident uh, in 2013 and we 
actually started writing the sports discovery blog about a year later as a way of kind of trying to do something in his memory mm. and keep sort of he was so innovative and he liked to share ideas and try new things and it came from that idea and from that moment I've really enjoyed well as much as you can enjoy writing because it's a love-hate <laughs> process yes um but I I love the um blog and putting ideas out there and if someone reads it and it and it helps them and they or they agree with it or maybe they disagree with it but I, I write first and foremost for me and then hopefully for others. And so although we've moved on now from sports discovery, when I did start Global Performance Insights, to me, keeping that free content available and as well as my own process of trying to put my thoughts down on paper was really important to me, as well as obviously the kind of initial story of, of where an idea for a blog even came from. Yeah. People don't understand this, but I always joke around like if I write something or create a piece of content, it's generally for me first. Right. Like like not only is there a therapy involved in it, but like you alluded to, it forces you to take your thoughts and streamline them, challenge them, clean them up. And then yeah. then it's like, well, now I can communicate this more effectively. You know, like that whole process of here's kind of what I think, but then putting it on paper, editing it, refining it like. It, it's hard work, like you alluded to. It's love-hate, but the end result is generally worth it, you know? Yeah, and it's that's a beneficial process to you. Yes. Uh, but I think you have to, in this world, and I'm sure it's the same for you with your podcast, and I, I listened to your uh, New Year's show where you did talk about your phenomenal stats, which congratulations yeah, for 300-plus shows. Yeah. But it's very easy when you do put stuff out there the vehicles that are used with, you know, likes and shares and downloads in your case to get affected by that. Yes. If you keep returning to why you did it and why you're doing it, your purpose and the benefits it brings to you first and foremost, then hopefully that outweighs some of those potential negatives that can come with the external validation of social media. Right. Well, and it, you're more likely to stick to it too. If you genuinely enjoy it and you're doing it more for the process than like mm -hmm. you alluded to just the external stuff. So, okay. Mm -hmm. Number three, I realize it's going to be hard, but what's the hardest part of working in elite sport? I think the hardest part is the, or are the, the sacrifices that you have to make on your, you know, particularly in your personal life in terms of the demands of seven day week, long days, missing weddings and Christmases. I mean, this was the first proper Christmas that I got <laughs> to celebrate fully, um, probably since university. Now, that being said, I mean, the sacrifices are for a reason. I mean, I've had phenomenal experiences. And so I do acknowledge what they have been for. Um, so I think for younger practitioners, it's important to realise the demands and the things you might have to give up. Um, and then it's it's up to people to decide whether that balance is worth it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I think we've discussed this throughout the show, but, you know, it's not for everybody. And I think yeah. there are ways, just like we find ways uh, as athletes, we realize we're not going to be athletes forever. So we find a way to be involved in the lives of athletes 
there's a lot of ways you can do that. And it's not always just in the team environment. So I think that's great. Okay. Last but not least, number four, what's next for Joe Club? What are you working on? What are you excited about? Anything? Just, um, yeah, continuing to try and make sports science impactful and, and make a difference to the industry through many ways. So lo- lots of different plates spinning in that sense. But um, really, it comes back to really trying to make a difference for athletes with sports science. I love it. And as long as you've got kind of that guiding light, I think you're going to be good to go. So, yeah. well, Joe, it's been amazing catching up with you today. Glad we finally made this happen. Uh, yeah. We talked about it before the show. I think this is like a year and a half in the making. <laughs> where can my listeners find out more about you and the great work that you're doing? So the best place would be my website, which is globalperformanceinsights.com. And on that platform, you've got my blog there, um, free access to there. Um, and then you've got links to all my social media. So on Twitter, I'm Joe Club Sports I. Um, I'm on LinkedIn as well, and I'm on Instagram. Um, but yeah, if they go to my website, they can get all the links and they can subscribe to the blog to get all the updates as well and never never miss a post. Perfect. Well, we'll make sure we get all the links in there so uh, they can find you easily. But again, Joe, this is great. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. All right, my friend, that does it for this week's show with Joe. Really hope you enjoyed it. I think this was a really fantastic chat. It took us a couple minutes to get warmed up there, but man, she is such a bright thinker. Love the journey that she's been on, you know, between the EPL, NHL, NFL, like she's been in all these major sports leagues, some of which she doesn't have a lot of experience in herself. And to go in there and have success, man, it's a really cool story. And I think part of it is just a testament to how grounded she is in her approach. I think sometimes we can get caught up in minutia or we can overwhelm ourselves with data when it comes to sports science. And she just has this really grounded approach that I think is user-friendly to both the athletes and the coaches that she works with. So again, hope you enjoyed it. If you did, one small favor. If you're not already subscribed to the show, go to wherever you consume podcasts and do that right now. iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, uh, Amazon, Wherever you consume podcasts, hit the subscribe button so you know each and every week when a new episode drops. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back next week with our next episode. Take care.